Welcome back to Podcast Greater Than Yourself. I'm John Barleycorn. And I am Fred. And uh, this week, we are bringing you a bonus situation. It's part one of the Modem to Modem Sponsorship Workshop that we hosted live on Zoom on Saturday, March 27th. I'm really excited about this because I didn't even know that you were going to do this and put it out as a podcast. But when, as soon as you said it, I was like, of course, this is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. I think it turned out good. Um, the weird part slash funny part to me in editing this audio was that um, as far as I can remember when we were doing the workshop, I was the only one who was sitting in a recording studio with professional recording equipment surrounding me. And yet my audio is like ear death. It is like really? so bad. <laughs> I don't remember that as being the case when we when we were actually doing it live. No, it's literally like um, for full effect. If you weren't at the workshop, what you would have experienced when it would switch to me is that the uh, the room I'm in is surrounded in acoustic paneling. There's professional musical equipment all around. There's like a twenty four hundred dollar microphone right next to me, and. I my audio is coming through a Campbell soup can on a string. <laughs> and like in editing it, I'm like, it's like uh, when you're a kid, <laughs> when you're a kid, and like somebody rec- records you and plays plays it back to you, and you're, and, and it's like, hey, hi, I'm John Barleycorn, and you're just like, I don't sound like that. <laughs> it was like earth shattering. That's fantastic. I had no idea. So I can't believe that your mic costs that much. I'm blown away. Yeah, it was an investment. I love it. That's why this podcast twenty is years so good. strong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah. So we, how many steps does this one cover? It covers steps one through seven. Awesome. Seven steps. I had to do the math. No, no, seven steps. Yeah, <laughs> that seems. Yep. Let me just. <laughs> carry the two yeah seven steps i think you're right seven entire steps yeah and uh you will recognize some voices like we told you guys before some familiar voices from the podcast and um i think it went really well this is really exciting to share this with you guys i think this section also had the it had more questions yeah there was like a really good q a is that on this one too yeah q a is going to be on there yeah, the Q&A for this first half was like, I thought it got really, like a lot of people jumped in and there were some really good questions. For sure. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy, or mow the lawn, or do the dishes, or whatever it is you're doing, and enjoy. And um, we will be back with you soon for the second half of the workshop. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm starting us right at 10 because I, I'm worried I'm going to be the person that immediately derails the schedule. Um, you know, before we get too, too deep, I had asked John to, to open this workshop with a prayer. And, um, Don, if you could we'd love to start with you. What's up you guys. My name is Dawn and I am a recovered alcoholic and, uh, we are going to, Start with the set aside prayer. I don't think I can share my screen, but I will put it in the chat for anyone who may be unfamiliar 
God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, my disease, the 12 steps, and you, God, so I may have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please let me see the truth. Amen. Uh, welcome, everybody. Good morning. Uh, it's such a pleasure and a privilege to, to see all of you. Um, so welcome to our, our workshop today on sponsorship in the age of Zoom. Um, a few things I wanted to say um, just right off the bat. We have a couple of, um, of folks here who are dedicated to answering questions and helping should any issues arise. We have Kat, who's, who's taking questions about the Q&A. Um, she's sort of our master host for the day. Um, we have Amber, who if you have any questions, message Amber, tech questions if you're having trouble hearing folks, anything like that. Um, and, you know, please reach out, uh, especially with any questions or if you have any, um, desire to connect with anybody you hear from, or if you, you know, if you're looking for a sponsor, for example, message cat, um, the way that today is going to work is, you know, I'm going to briefly sort of introduce what's happening. And then we're going to have 30 minute increments where we do, um, where we discuss step work. So the first, first group will start at 10, 10, we'll have a, another half an hour section and then we'll take a break. We'll have some periods of Q and A. We'll take a lunch, um, and we should be all done by uh, 4 p.m. today. Um, with that in mind, I, I want to note that you know while we're all, uh, everyone that you'll hear from today is a recovered alcoholic and a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're not speaking for for Alcoholics Anonymous. We're only speaking from our own experience with with this work and with the book. Um, and so, you know, please keep in mind that we're not we're not representing any. Uh, AA. Um, I'd also like to say that, you know, essentially our goal when we, when we started the idea for this was how can we lay out, uh, you know, the clear cut directions for this work, for these 12 steps, for our spiritual program of action, um, and adapt it and make sure that everyone has an opportunity, uh, to, to realize that this works, this works online, right? This works mid pandemic. Uh, there's, there's no reason that we, what we do, what we did before and the before times can't work now. And by that, I mean, quickly, effectively embracing the directions that are laid out here. I don't think anybody here would tell you that you cannot recover, uh, from alcoholism slowly. Um, but I think everybody that you're going to hear from would agree that our experience and the history of, you know, AA sort of shows that um, if you can do these quickly, if you can help somebody do this work quickly, we tend to see better results. And, and you know, what I mean by that is if you look at our, our founders, right? So we, we know from the book that uh, Bill did his steps uh, in treatment and he did them in three paragraphs on page 13, right? Uh, we know that after our third step prayer, we launch into a course of vigorous action, uh, we know we're going to be fearless and thorough from the very start. And, uh, you know, Dr. Bob says that he carried the message to 5,000 people in 15 years. You know, imagine if Dr. Bob told folks to slow down, they need to just do one step a month, right? Or one step a year, God forbid. You know, you know we know that these things worked for folks and it was good enough for them. Uh, it was simpler for them than sometimes we try to make it here. And we also know anecdotally that, success rates tended to be higher, um, back in the day, you know, you hear stories about a 75% success rate in Alcoholics Anonymous. I think now when we look at the success rates, and I know that there's, you can, 
you can dispute about the, the, the metrics and how they're measured, but we see stats like 3%, five, you know, we'd be lucky for 5%. Um, and you know, there could be a lot of reasons for that. And again, I'm not Mr. AA, but I think part of that is that we've made, we've made the one message that's laid out in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, many messages, and we've made it, what was a simple program more complicated. And when I think of simple, I think quick. So I just wanted to, to finally sort of mention my experience with Zoom. I think this past year has been an objectively bad year for society, you know, for humanity. It's been tough. Um, but for, for me personally, this has been, you know, the best year of my recovery. This has been an incredible, I've had an incredible experience through you know, online meetings and Zoom. I've seen this fellowship of folks from around the country and around the world rise up around me, folks who I who, who I love, um, who've who've handed me new opportunities to be of service um, anywhere, anytime. Folks uh, reaching out to me via text message or WhatsApp who I've never met, who heard from somebody, who heard from somebody in a Zoom meeting that I went to one time that I'm available to sponsor, right? Somebody who needs help who knows that I'm available and, and I'm able to connect those people to other people. It's just been an incredible privilege. Um, you know, a, a sponsor is not a, a spiritual guru. A sponsor is not a therapist. A sponsor is somebody who's done this thing that we're going to discuss before and is able to show you how to do it um, just straight out of the book. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about here today. Um, you know, it's a, I'm very much looking forward to it. I hope that to the extent there are questions, you'll reach out and that we'll have a discussion. And, um, you know, it's just a great, great pleasure and privilege to be a part of this. So I'm going to stop there. Uh, I'm going to introduce a, a little bit early our first set of speakers, Kirby and Chris, who are going to talk about step one. And we're going to get this show on the road. So thank you very much. Hi, y'all. Uh, my name is Kirby. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, and I have very gratefully gotten uh, Chris from North Texas to help me cover um, the step one instructions out of the book and how to convey these instructions to newcomers, specifically over Zoom. Um, we are both out of North Texas. I'm currently in Central Texas, but um, we are from the same big book study, The Unfortunates, which goes on um, Thursday nights at 7 p.m. And you can look it up at unfortunatesaa.org. It's a great big book study. Uh, that's where I learned almost everything I know about the book today. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to Chris, and he's going to discuss the first half of the first step. So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Kirby. So I, I uh, when the pandemic hit, the pandemic altered Alcoholics Anonymous in a tremendous way, right? Uh, uh, and amazingly enough, a lot of things are now happening via Zoom. Um, not just workshops. So I'll get to the sponsorship thing. And it's very interesting because when you look at it, what happened. So I'm, I'm a voracious reader. I read all kinds of things um, outside of a, a in, in May May of 2020, the Harvard Gazette put out this article around how the battlefronts of World War II and COVID, the battlefronts look different, but the long-term consequences are very consistent. And 
Um, I, I was raised in a, a that we're not supposed to be problem solvers. We're supposed to use principles before personalities, and there's 36 of them, the 12 steps, 12 traditions, 12 concepts of service. And what we're supposed to be is more of a historian. How do we solve our problems using the principles? And AA has faced this very dilemma that we're facing right now in the past. I, I do a lot of archive talks at state conventions. In, in Historically, in 1943, 1945, 1947, around World War II, Alcoholics Anonymous went through the very same things that we're doing right now. And that is, well, how do we help our AA members overseas what, what do we do with all these other groups springing up in other countries? Back then, they used to do it by snail mail, right? But they figured a way to do it. And with, with Alcoholics Anonymous, in, in the day of, the, in the digital age, carrying the message now is no different, right? Um, so I'm going to end up doing a screen share to kind of go through the first half of step one, and Kirby's going to talk about the second half. If you look in our three historical volumes, AA Comes of Age, Dr. Bob and the Gold Timers Pass It On, they, they write a lot about the Stanley brothers. And that was my great, 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 great grand sponsor, Paul Stanley. And he, of course, was sponsored by a guy named Dr. Bob, who was mentioned earlier. And I in the last three decades, do the steps the exact same way that Joe did it with me, that Don did it with him, that Gary did it with him. And that was sitting across from one-on-one. -on -one. Usually people would come over to my house. I have a dictionary, 1939 dictionary. I've got a blank big book. I do not. So this is my big book, right? You can see all my notes. I do not use my big book when I'm working with a new guy, because I don't want my experience interfering with a new guy's experience. So I always use a blank book, so I'm not distracted by all my OCD colors. And this way, I'm in tune with the new guy and the book. And we do it the exact same way it was done with me, and that is anytime there's a word that needs to be defined, we look it up. Make sure that, that the definition is accurate because 1939 dictionary definitions are very different from current day. Um, anytime there's an instruction, we do it. Anytime there's a question, we answer it. We, I, we word by word, sentence by sentence. Um, and via Zoom nowadays, it's actually blown AA wide open, right? I, I mean, I am able to do workshops in the south of France, and it doesn't take me four days, right? I get together with them on Zoom, and I do it from the comfort of my office. It's amazing. And how we do it is the exact same way. So in talking about the first step, I'm going to do the first half of the first step. So when you look at the first step, the first step is broken up into two different halves, separated by a dash. The first half is how am I powerless? The second half is the unmanageability. I'm going to cover the first half, being powerless. So being powerless is also broken up into two halves. How am I powerless physically, right? And how am I powerless mentally? How I'm powerless physically is covered from the doctor's opinion to page 23. And it actually switched gears on page 23. It says, 
These observations around the allergy are academic appointments where a friend never takes the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle into motion. Therefore, the main problem the alcoholic centers in his mind. On page 23, it goes from being powerless physically to powerless mentally. From page 23 to page 43 is all about how my powerless mentally. We're going to that in a second. And then after the dash is how's my life unmanageable? Not around my drinking, right? Yes, it does have to do with my drinking, but that's not the sole function of that. So kind of the best way to illustrate this in, in now, the first step is covered through the, the first 45 pages of the book. The book covers the directions up to page 103. It's through the first half of the 12th step. That means over 40, 40% of what's written in the book is devoted entirely to the first step, right? So going through this word by word, page by page is going to be a whole lot different looking than how I'm going to do it right now. But this is the most effective way to kind of give an overview of it. So being powerless physically, what they do is they get a doctor. His name is Silkworth. Dr. Silkworth treated 41,000 alcoholics in his lifetime. Most people would consider this man an expert in the field because he is. So Dr. Silkworth, of course, wrote the doctor's opinion. And in that, he's giving his opinion, not of what's wrong with the alcoholic. That's a theory that he has, right? He's giving his opinion that what AA does works, where he as a doctor fails. So if you go through the evidence of this, if you kind of look at, he tells us what's wrong with us on page XXVIII. It says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol is chronic alcoholics is the manifestation of an allergy. And that the phenomenon of craving is limited in this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So he tells us what's wrong. He says that, that we have an allergy. So what, what is an allergy? So an allergy by definition, it's an abnormal reaction to a common substance. I am allergic to scallops. I eat scallops, I break out in hives, I eat them at the wrong time of the year, my throat can close up and I can die. Most of the people on here can probably eat scallops, no big deal. I have an abnormal reaction. So what does an abnormal reaction to alcohol look like? So I, I've got this real stupid analogy. So two bullseyes. I used to draw these bullseyes side by side, but I lost every guy in the group as soon as I did that. So normal people, how many drinks do, do normal people drink? Most people would say two to three. And these weirdos that they call normal that I think are really screwed up, they drink two or three drinks and they get the effect they want. They hit their target and they stop. They hit their target with alcohol and they're done. They say 90% of the population reacts this way to alcohol. They can start at noon, have a couple of Bloody Marys. They can go to a happy hour, have a few beers. They can have a couple of martinis with their steak and lobster dinner. I've been out with these normal people. And it's my buddy's bachelor party. Tonight's night, they get so drunk that they're going to black out, throw up on a stripper, and pass out. And you know what they do? They black out, throw up on a stripper, and pass out because that was their target. They hit their, when they hit their target, they stop. When they start to feel it, they get their desired effect, they're done. Me? I'm a little bit different. When I first started drinking, eight beers. 
Eight beers was my magic number at the age of 15. I knew that if I had eight beers in me, I was going to have that spiritual experience with alcohol where my face glowed, my hair was perfect, my feet felt good in my socks, right? I was cool, you were cool, everything's awesome. I hit my target. Eight beers. Boom. Fast forward two years, something strange happened. And now eight beers isn't enough. Before... If you tried to take one of my, so it was good because I buy a 12 pack. I could share four beers with friends who didn't have money, a cute girl, whatever. But if you tried to touch one of my eight, you're going to pull back a stump because I know I need eight beers. By the time I'm 17, this has now become a 12 pack and a fifth of something to get me in the vicinity of my target. Because now my target's starting to move. I'm not getting the same effect that I'm drinking towards. There are a lot of times where I drink a 12 and a 12th and a fifth pack, uh, a 12 pack and a fifth, and I come really close to my target and I think, okay, I need another pint or I need a, another six pack. I'm almost there. But what ended up happening is I would overshoot the mark. And that's when consequences would come into play. Blackout, crash cars, I've been arrested a lot, right? Because I think I'm close and I think, oh, now pour a lot of alcohol on and I'll get there and I'm done, right? I don't know if you've ever had this horrifying experience, but you got to go to work tomorrow morning. You got a 12 pack of beer. You drink eight of them. It's 1030. You know, if you drink these four beers before Seinfeld's over, you're going to be at the sweet spot to go to sleep. You drink those four beers and you drink yourself sober. I'm physically intoxicated, but I'm there. That's the most miserable feeling to drink and not get drunk, right? This is what my drinking looks like. So ask most alcoholics, well, which target do you relate to? Do you hit your target every time? Stop with two or three? Does it take you exactly where you want to get to? Or is your target moving? And if your target's moving, if this top group is normal, that makes this bottom group abnormal. If you can relate to this bar bottom target, you have an abnormal reaction to ethanol. You have an allergy to alcohol. You're what Dr. Silkworth described as a guy who suffers from the phenomenon of craving. And like he says, this never occurs in the average temper drinker. If you can relate to this one time, you're what Dr. Silkworth calls a chronic alcoholic, right? He goes on to say that what's needed is an entire psychic change. Well, what the hell does that mean, right? Well, Dr. Silkworth majored in science in college, went to medical school, did two years of internship, did several years of residency for his education, all based in science. Dr. Silkworth even wrote, I think it's a, it comes of age that he can't talk about God, but he can say the word psychic because by definition, psychic means lying outside the sphere of physical science or knowledge, spiritual in origin or force. That's a doctor's way of saying spiritual experience. He goes on to say that these alcoholics do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach, that doctors cannot help the alcoholic. Doctors can't help. He knew that, right? They laid out the first half of the first half of the first step in a very methodical way. They get a doctor who tells us what's wrong with us. A didn't come up with that. A guy who ran a treatment center did. This doctor tells us exactly what's wrong, have an allergy, 
tells us what we need, a psychic change, and then he tells us he can't give that to us, right? That is, in a nutshell, what the first 23 pages is all about. Then comes, how am I powerless mentally? Interestingly enough, they do the exact same process. They get a doctor. This guy's doctor is Dr. Carl Jung. Dr. Carl Jung is known as the father of modern-day psychology. Friend student of Freud, um, how... How Roland Hazard and Freud got together is a whole different discussion, but AA is here only by seconds and inches. Because if those two wouldn't have hooked up, we would not be here. Because Roland, Roland Hazard was the guy who visited Dr. Jung, who gave us what's wrong with us mentally, who was the Oxford member group who got Ebby Thatcher, who is the guy who, of course, sat at the kitchen table with Bill Wilson. Had all this stuff not happened, we would not be here. Now, Carl Jung told us what's wrong with us. He talks about the mind of a chronic alcoholic. He talks about these obsessions, right? He talks about on page 30, uh, we have this obsession that somehow, somehow someday, we'll, uh, we'll be down to the count we'll, we'll, or we'll be able to beat the game. An obsession is not a thought of drinking. By definition, an obsession is a persistent disturbing preoccupation with an unreasonable idea. Right? I have not had an obsession to drink because I haven't picked up a drink. An obsession is not the same as thinking of drinking. Two totally different beasts. By definition, an obsession means it ends with a drink because it's persistent. Um, I think of drinking. Usually in an AA, I don't think of drinking at any other time than in an AA meeting when people are talking about drinking. And if you think that it's not about thinking of, it's, it's about not thinking about drinking, you got to read page 100 and 101. Because it says if a person can't think about drinking and not drink, there's something wrong with his spiritual status, right? There's something still wrong with him mentally. Because if I've done these steps, the 10th step mile markers on page 85 will happen where I've been restored to sanity around alcohol. The problem's been removed. Um, God's taken away the problem. Drinking is not, that's what it means to be recovered from alcoholism, right? Dr. Dr. Carl Jung tells us exactly what we need, and he calls it a vital spiritual experience, right? He, he knew it. It's amazing because Carl Jung did exactly the same thing that Dr. Silkworth did with being powerless physically. He broke down how we powerless mentally, and when asked, can doctors help? In the big book, it says, nope, doctors cannot help us, right? Doctors cannot give us what we need. When they break down the first half of the first step, they do it in a way where they cover how am I powerless physically, how am I powerless mentally, in the exact same way. They get a doctor to tell us what's wrong. Dr. Sokwa told us we have an allergy physically. We need a psychic change and she can't help us, they do the exact same thing with how my power is mentally, right? That they get Dr. Carl Jung, who tells us we have these obsessions, right? And what they're talking about basically is on top page 37. It says, whatever the precise definition word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of portionability to think straight be called anything else? Insanity is not doing the same thing over again, expecting a different result. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. The guy who wrote that quote, his name is Albert Einstein. He was working on the theory of relativity. 
for him to rewrite one of his huge equations, physics is a finite math, right? Quantum mechanics, it'd be insane to rewrite that whole thing expecting a different result. How many people have relapsed, right? You relapsed, why did you come back to AA? What are you, insane? You're gonna try AA again and expect a different result? In Alcoholics Anonymous, the most sane thing you can do is the same thing over again, expecting a different result. Praying for a different result. The big book is the message. Alcoholics Anonymous is a book, not a meeting, like it says on the title page. Alcoholics Anonymous is this story of how we recovered. Insanity is a lack of a possibility to think straight. And the most sane thing I can do as an alcoholic is continue doing this stuff over and over again, and I get different results. Um, if you guys need my contact information, Kirby will gladly give it to you. I will gladly talk to anybody. Um, but I'm going to hand it over to Kirby so she can cover the second half of the first step. Thank you very much, Chris. That was, that was fantastic. Um, you know, at, at the end of what Chris was talking about, we're at this dash. We are now entering, we're switching gears a little bit. We're going from how I'm powerless over alcohol mentally and physically to this new idea of accepting that my life is unmanageable. And really, this section of the book takes place on the bottom half of page 44 and the top half of page 45. This is where I figure out what my unmanageability is. Um, this is where the book tells me what unmanageability is because there's, there's two different ways that I, that I thought about unmanageability. Uh, and it's important when I'm working with a newcomer that I explain what the book tells me. Because this is what I thought when I first came into AA and people were like, uh, write a list of how your life is unmanageable in your drinking. And I thought that my unmanageability in my life were the consequences that I had suffered during drinking, my circumstances that I was in because of my drinking. So, you know, going to rehab, going to jail, breaking cars, breakups, divorces, I don't have my kids. Those are the things that I thought qualified as unmanageable. And when I'm looking at unmanageability that way, I start to make these comparisons between, you know, my consequences and yours. And if mine don't look as bad as yours, then maybe I'm not really unmanageable and maybe I don't need to take this first step. So that's, that's where we run into problems with this idea of unmanageability. Um, but that's not what the book tells me unmanageability is. Those are often manifestations of my unmanageability as the book describes it. Um, you know, going, going to jail, being in rehab, not having my kids. Those are manifestations of that. But here's what the book says. At the bottom of page 44, it talks about if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago, but we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. So I went ahead. I don't have the 1939 dictionary. I've tried to find it and um, it's like hundreds of dollars on eBay. So, you know, that's a purchase for richer Kirby. Um, but the definition I found of morals is what I want to talk about. So the definition of morals is a person's standards of behavior or belief concerning what is and is not acceptable for them to do. So whenever, but putting aside the drink question, as, as Chris was talking about, I would try 
all sorts of things to be like, um, to, to, to live up to these standards that I had for myself. I wasn't a total, um, you know, I, I didn't have no idea of what was right and wrong when I was drinking. I saw my friends being good friends to each other. I saw my sisters being good sisters to each other. Um, I saw my parents having a loving relationship and I had these standards for myself that I would set that I wanted to be like these people. I wanted to be a good daughter, a good sister, a good friend, a good girlfriend. But time and time again, no matter how much I tried to do those things, I would fall short of these standards that I had set for myself, these morals, these beliefs in what is right and wrong. Um, I would, and I would try all sorts of things to, to reach these um, standards. I would try, um, I had all sorts of self-help books that I would be reading and I would try to apply those principles as hard as I could into my life. Um, I would try to go back to church here and there or, or live or, um, uh, start reading my Bible again and try, I, I would try all of these different things. And every single time I would fall short, I would find myself being a bad girlfriend again, or uh, uh, not being a good listener. Or I, I just wasn't ever able, no matter how hard I tried of my own willpower to live up to these standards. So that's really what my unmanageability is. It's not that, you know, here I am in AA, I don't have my kids, I'm going through a divorce. And I went to jail. That's not unmanageability. My unmanageability is my inability of my own willpower to be the person I want to be, to be the person that I set up in these, these morals. Um, so really the book tells me that, you know, if that's what my unmanageability is, me living this life, not just not drinking, but living um, of my own willpower, I can't do that. It says lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how are we to find this power? And then, you know, it launches into where and how I'm going to find this power in the rest of the steps and the rest of the book. But this is where I come to terms with that. I have to realize that of my own willpower, I've not been living up to these morals, these philosophies, these standards. And if that's the case, if I don't have the power, I have to realize that I've got to find that power somewhere else. Uh, and Chris did a great job of, of showing that doctors, other people, human powers cannot help me. I've got to find a power beyond myself. Um, and that gives me the power. I love uh, how it talks about we had to find a power by which we could live. Because, again, this is not about my drinking anymore. This is about me not being able to live, I've got to find something by which I can live, not just something I can just not drink no matter what one day at a time by. Um, I want to thank everybody for being here and for listening to Chris and I talk. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kirby and Chris. Um, so our next speaker for half an hour is going to be Sam and, and Sandra. Um, you know, if you do have any questions, message Kat or message Amber. Uh, you can message me as well if you'd like. Um, we'll try and get to those, you know, uh, at the best possible time. But for, for now, unless anybody has any, um, you know, like burning desire questions, we're going to go over to Sam and Sandra. Hi, everybody. I'm Sam. I'm an alcoholic. Um... Thank you for, uh, it's awesome to be here. Really excited. Uh, been looking forward to this. Thank you so much, Kirby and Chris. Uh, that was a great, uh, overview of step one. Um, so I'm, I'm from central Ohio. Yeah. My home group is the design for living group. 
we meet uh, in the campus area, the Ohio, Ohio State campus area here in Columbus. Um, and I have, I've asked Sandra to speak with me today. She's also uh, in our home group, Design for a Living. So yeah, I, you know, uh, it was shown to me in the, you know, when working the 12 steps, cause I heard a lot going, uh, I mean, I was in and out of treatment. I was trying to get sober for a while. I went to a few different States to go to rehab. Um, and I, you know, kept being told that, you know, this is a marathon and, you know, it's a lifelong thing and it's one day at a time, you know, like, like I pictured it like sitting on my hands for one day at a time for my whole life, essentially, you know, living under a rock and like cowering from, from drugs and alcohol. And, uh, you know, the message that stuck to me was this, this message that Chris and Kirby were talking about is that I'm utterly powerless over alcohol. And, and if I'm, if I'm utterly powerless, then, then actually this is a race. It, it, it in fact is a race. Uh, I'm in, I'm in a race for a solution because currently I don't have a solution uh, alcohol is my solution. It's not working. When I put it down, I can't keep it down. If I can't keep it down, then I need a solution as quickly as humanly possible or else I will drink again. Um, so how do we get someone, you know, step two is really simple. Um, you know, Kirby, you know, talked about this idea that, you know, what's the main objective of this book? It's to find a power uh, you know, I don't have the power, so I need to find a power. It's very simple. Um, and so what, what do I need to do that? And, and in We Agnostics, it says one line. It says, do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? This is on page 47. As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he's on his way, right? If I'm going to do this program, which the objective is to find a power, then I have to be open-minded to the idea that that power might exist, right? Because if I'm going to say that power doesn't exist, well, how am I going to go through with this program with the intention of finding power? So a very simple idea that I, I merely need to be open-minded that maybe, just maybe the smallest inkling that there could be a power out there. Uh, and, and, it, and it says upon this, uh, it's been proven repeatedly uh, that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built, right? Because I have to be open-minded that there's something, and on that simple idea that there might be something, I can grow towards finding what that power is. Um, and so I always, when, when working the steps with guys, uh, you know, on Zoom, and, you know, I agree with, with Chris that, you know, this is actually awesome because now, you know, we can carry the message so much further. Now it's, you know, more convenient over Zoom. I, I have, you know, sponsees in other states. Um, you know, I've been talking with people in other countries. Uh, so it's it's enabled me to be able to sponsor more people and talk to more people and uh, everything about it is more convenient um, for carrying the message. So, so I actually look at this as not a, uh, like a hamper on 12 step recovery, but actually that, that zoom is strengthening 12 step recovery. So anyway, when I, when I work with guys, we get to, we get to this question and as soon they can say that there might be maybe a power out there, 
boom, we've, we've completed step two. That is step two. Uh, and through the rest of the st- steps, I will come to believe in this power. Um, but really that simple. Um, and I'm going to pass it over to Sandra now. Hi, everyone. My name is Sandra, and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Kirby and Chris and Sam. I've been looking forward to this for a while now. Um, so when Sam first asked me if I would do this with him, he brought up the the, the, the workshop name, or, or I think you said something along the lines of um, the topic is discussing the 12 steps and how we do it um, now with a pandemic. I thought to myself, how is it any different? You know? <laughs> and that's the whole point, right? <laughs> Um, although I do know that there's people out there who think it is different now. I, I don't know. Um, the only thing I want to add for step two, I, I am extremely passionate about step two and three in particular, um, is I didn't really understand step two. I, I really didn't. I struggled really hard. And at one point, my sponsor asked me, do you have the power to stop drinking? I said, yeah, I, I'm choosing right now not to pick up a drink. And she said, okay. If you had the power to stop drinking, why did you wait until now to use that power? Why weren't you using that all along? <laughs> what are you doing in NAA? If you can stop drinking, right, then just stay stopped. Problem solved, right? But that's not the way I drink. I, I lost that power to, to stop drinking altogether. All right, so step two, right, it was about um, having this willingness, right, it's about finding um, a power greater than ourselves out there or just have the willingness to believe that there's a power out there. And step three, um, so made a decision to turn our will in our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Um, you know, it's described to me that it's as simple as if there's a power out there, which I said I was willing to believe in step two, could that power please help me? Quite simple, right? Um, so, Step three starts on chapter five, and there's about 19 pages that are dedicated um, to um, step two, two and three. So chapter five is how it works. You guys have heard this read to death at meetings, um, but it is so, so unbelievably powerful. And, you know, I noticed that people in AA, um, we have this tendency to read the big book. What I encourage all of you to do is to actually take time and read the sentences slowly and actually analyze them, analyze the paragraphs, actually study this, this, this book. It's, it's unbelievable. So you heard Chris talking about step one being a cornerstone step. Step three is the keystone step. And that's the brick in the middle of an arch that holds the arch together. Okay. So if you are completely lost at this point, <laughs> I highly suggest you find a sponsor who knows what we're talking about. And at the bottom of, let me pull up how it works. Or actually in the middle of page 60, for those of you who have a big book in front of you, you see the ABCs. And this is pretty much the last thing that's read at meetings. So it says being convinced, meaning being convinced of the ABCs, we were at step three. The ABCs are that we were alcoholics and could not manage our own lives. Step one, right? And that probably no human power could have relieved us from, from alcoholism. And that could, that God could and would if he were sought. So it was interpreted to me that step three is about turning my thoughts and my actions over to the care of God. 
And at this point, you might be wondering, well, how do I do that? If you flip the page on page 62, and I'll show you my big book here in a second, I am all about this. These two pages are so unbelievably powerful. Take time and, and read this. Honestly, spent a lot of time here. There's some valuable nuggets in here. It talks about selfishness and self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pitying. And then it continues, it says... So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. So imagine every time you complain to your sponsor about something, just know you're complaining about yourself because you're the root of your problems. <laughs> just know that. <laughs> um, so if I'm self-deluded, right, why do I keep going to my own head, which is delusional, for answers? Makes literally no sense, but I keep doing that. Right? So step three is asking for us not to do that. And it continues and talks about um, this higher power. And please note that at the bottom of 62, it talks about this is the how and why of it. First of all, we have to quit playing God. We aren't in a partnership with God. A partnership is equal position of power. That's not what we're doing here. That scale is tilted. There's God and then there's Sandra. It, we're not equal at all. There is no equal distribution of power here. I had to quit playing God because it didn't work. I needed a new, a new boss, basically. And on page 63, it talks about how the alcoholic had to die, meaning the old Sandra had to die so that my spirit could live on. Right? And then... At the very bottom, it says that this was only a beginning. Though if honestly and humbly made, an effect, sometimes a very great one, was felt at once. Only a beginning. This is, this is not the end of the road, guys. <laughs> You got to keep going, right? That's the beauty of this. I notice that people will do step one and kind of pause. If you do step one, it is a horrible feeling. We just found out that our lives are completely unmanageable and that I am powerless. Who, who likes that feeling? I mean, it sucks. Step in step two and step three is where you start feeling a little bit better. Or at least you should. And by the time you do the third step, you should feel a, a, a great effect. Like it said, at once sometimes. And it's, but it's only a beginning. And um, Sam, do you want to chime in and do four with me? I was going to touch on real quick um, just a couple things on three. Um, yeah. So if, if, if any of us knew how to do uh, to how to turn our will and our life over to the care of God, this would be a three-step program, right? Cause that's, that's the idea of the 12 steps is that, is that idea that, that God is going to be our director. Now we're going to stop playing the director and God's going to be the director. But if we knew how to do that, then that would be it. It'd be done. Step three and boom, we're good to go. Uh, but like, I didn't know anything about how to do that. And so um, a, a really simple way that is put to me is that step three is a decision to do the rest of the steps because the rest of the steps, um, it says on page 63 that, you know, we had a new employer being all powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. 
So God's going to provide what we need, but we have to stick close to him and perform his work well. And the problem is, is that I have no idea how to do that. So the, the rest of the steps are going to show me specifically how to stay close to him and perform his work well. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to touch on, you know, just, you know, an analogy I use a lot with, uh, with my guys about step three, cause I was so confused. Like what, what, why is it selfishness? What does that have to do with my drinking? And like all of a sudden these gears switch in step three, talking about selfishness. Um, and it says selfishness and self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles. So I think about it kind of like a weed or like a lot of times I call it a shit tree. Like my life is a shit tree. And uh, I got this root holding it into the ground. And, and uh, the, the root is what holds a tree into the ground, right? Or holds a weed into the ground. And, and my, uh, my drinking is just, you know, it talks about later in the book that, or a few times in the book that, that drinking is but a symptom, right? So like we got these leaves coming off the tree and, and like alcohol is just like a leaf on the weed. And, and if you know anything about picking weeds, if you go out to your garden and pick, pick leaves off your, off weeds, it doesn't do anything, right? The weed just keeps getting out of control. You have to really get in there and pull it out by the root. And so what it's suggesting is, uh, and step three is that, you know, it says any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So, like, everybody's got this spiritual malady, right? Everyone has this uh, um, any life, right? Anybody running on self-will can't be a success. But the problem is, is that I have this allergy and this obsession to alcohol. And that's what I use to try to treat this spiritual disease. And so it's suggesting that if I pull that out by the root and, and kill that weed, then, then I will recover from alcoholism and that I will no longer have an obsession to this thing that will fix me because now I've been fixed essentially. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to hit on that. And, and you know, it says the, the last thing I want to hit on step three is the sentence that says above everything. This is on page 62. If you have a book, I would underline this and highlight it. You know, in my opinion, that's <laughs> simply because it says above everything, right? That's the one time it says that in this book above absolutely everything. No matter what you think in AA, the meetings, the triggers, the rehab, people, places, and things, anything that you can possibly think is good for your recovery, this is on top of that, right? Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of selfishness. That's, you know, that's the, that's the point. You know, that's what the 12 steps are showing us to do. We must be rid of this or it kills us. Um, so, yeah, I really wanted to hit that sentence, um, but I'll let you start on step four, if you'd like, Sandra. Sure. So step four says made a searching and fearless molar inventory of ourself, right? So that for me starts at the bottom of 63, where it says, next, we launched on a course of vigorous action. The first step of which is a personal health cleaning. So, you know, the authors of this book are very wise individuals, right? So pay attention to the words. They use the word launched. A rocket is launched. There's nothing subtle about a launch. <laughs> so you got to go for it strong, right? Top of 64 suggests that step four must come 
quickly after step three or won't have any permanent effect, right? You, you got to get into it. I hear people, you know, taking a little bit of a break at this point. I hear this is also introduced. Fearless doesn't mean not having fear. It means despite being afraid and having fear, we find the courage to do it anyway. Okay, so I heard a story of um, a man asked a firefighter, um, is he afraid to, to go into that burning building? And he says, yeah. He goes, well, then why do you do it anyway? He goes, it's because those people need help. That man has the courage to walk into a burning building. I'm not doing that, right? Someone else's to go help those other people, right? He, he, he's still fearless, right? So I need to approach step four in the same manner. Um, the other thing I want to mention about step four, there's a nice little, if you want to call it a chart on page 65. Um, you know, I go to a workshops or, you know, um, I've been in recovery for about nine years. I've heard of people doing fourth steps and numerous, you know, ways, different number of columns. I don't care how many columns there are. The point of step four, right, is to do a fact-finding moral inventory. Fact-finding and fact-facing is a really important word. It's not saying this emotional um, inventory, right? It's saying a fact-finding inventory. Um, despite of how many columns you have, right, um, it's getting to the point, right? If you look at page 65, it gets to the point, the details are basically elapsed. They're not there. You know, um, I've seen people do two days worth of a fifth step after having read um, a fourth. I mean, they're, they're so elaborately written. That's not what we're doing. I don't want to hear the details of your sex inventory. I really don't. Those details are beyond me. <laughs> Keep it to the point, right? Well, what's the commonality here? You know, I've heard... Um, people doing a fourth in a matter of a day. I mean, there's people that take years, if not months to do this, right? This can be done a lot faster and, and you get to that, um, that solution faster, right? If, if, you, if you went to the doctor and they diagnosed you with cancer and they said, hey, you know, we have a treatment for you. Would you go, oh, you know what? Sorry, I'm busy. I have other things to do. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go like a, a kayaking with friends. No, you're going to go, give me that treatment now. I'm not waiting. Give it to me now. What's the earliest appointment I can get in? I want to get better now. And the fourth step gets you there, right? Yeah, I mean, just to, you know, beat a dead horse. Um, the I wanted to read, I always read this definition to uh, sponsees. It's uh, for vigorous. And that line that you hit on Sandra, that next we launch out a course of vigorous action. You know, vigorous is strong, healthy, and full of energy, right? To give you another, yet again, another idea of what it looks like to get into the fourth step, right? Because a little permanent effect can be made you know, it's like if I say I'm going to order in the third step, I make a decision, right? If I order, say I'm going to eat pizza for dinner tonight and I make that decision, I'm not immediately sitting here eating pizza. You know, I still have to pick up the phone, call the pizza place, give them my credit card number. And, you know, I got to take these actions to get me where I want, which is to be eating pizza. <laughs> so, like, if you want to recover from alcohol as you make this decision in step three and step four is the action that, that gets us where we're trying to go. It's, you know, Sandra did such a great job of um, 
Sorry, my book's falling apart here. A bunch of pages fell out. She <laughs> uh, did such a great job of describing, you know, what's the what's the point? And it, it's not a matter of like all, all the details of how the step four looks. It's, you know, one about action and two, it's about finding the facts of my parts. You know, that in my mind, that's the, that's the one important thing that needs to come out of my fourth step because it, it talks about, it says, when we went back through our lives, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. So, you know, finding our resentments and the cause and how it affects me, this shouldn't be news. Like, these are things that we already know. And what it's saying is that that's as far as we've ever gotten. And maybe we haven't written it down like this, but we already know these things. We already think about these things. And this is how we perceive ourselves as the victim and that we're the only ones affected out of these resentments. Um, and what it goes on uh, in, in 66 is the next part, which is, you know, probably the most important part, which is what is my role? You know, uh, on 66, it says, if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch, the grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious of lux luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are poison. We went back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. In other words, this is where the news comes in. This is where like the stuff we haven't thought about before comes in. This, this is the new idea in step four. It says, how could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol, right? So I'm not going to decide like, oh, I'm done with these resentments now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Because I, I, I thought that, right? I'm like, oh, I'm past that. You know, that happened 10 years ago. I, I'm over that. I don't even, you know, fuck that person. I, I don't care about them. You know, I don't even see. I'm so delusional. I don't see that I'm still resentful because I'm like, ah, I'm just willing away this resentment with all my might. Um, and it says that actually... This was our course. We realized that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, right, so this is a direction right here. Uh, the direction is, is that when somebody offends us, then we, this is what we say. This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Um, you know, this is the sick man prayer and it's a direction. It's part of the directions in the 12 steps. Um, you know, and, and this is specifically has been so helpful for me and, and, um, you know, I had a, I know I had a misconception for a long time too, because it's really easy to say this prayer. And when, when I feel offended and kind of say it like in, in the tone of, Oh God, this is a sick motherfucker over here. Like, please help them. You know, when like, that's not the idea, I'm not praying for them. I'm praying for me. I'm praying that God changes my perspective because if my perspective is of them as someone who is offending me and who's wrong, then I'm not going to be helpful for them. 
helpful to them and that I'm going to be continued to be in this bondage of self thinking that I'm the victim. And so what I'm praying for is that God show me a different perspective and to see them in the same light as I would as someone like a sick, if one of my siblings had the flu and I was helping them recover and like, you know, making them soup and running groceries for them. You know, it's like infinite pity and love and compassion. You know, I don't care that they're sick, right? That's the type of perspective that I'm praying for when someone offends me so that I can see it from a different angle and be free of resentment. Because if I'm not free of resentment, it kills us, uh, uh, is what it said on the previous page. You know, we've all heard um, the saying, uh, resentment is like taking poison, expecting the other person to die, right? But on page 66, it really like hounds in on that. And that little um, prayer that Sam talked about is, or that direction is like explicitly targeting that. So on page 66, it mentions death three times. It says fatal, die, and kill fatal dying kill alcoholism doesn't only physically eventually is going to kill me or someone else right it kills my love my inspiration my creativity it kills my soul completely why wouldn't i want to get rid of that you know my, i remember clear as day my sponsor asking me because i resisted doing four she said sandra do you want to be happy joyous and free I said, hell yeah, I want to be happy, joyous, and free. Then she goes, then put pen to paper, start writing fast. Start writing really fast. She goes, you write until your hand is numb if you have to, but you get to writing, you write fast. Um, And the only thing I have left to say is on 66, it says, if we were to live, we have to be free from anger. I can't hold on to it. I, I have sponsees tell me all the time, yeah, but they did this. I can't focus on what they did. I can't focus on the fact that, um, for example, um, with, my, with my parents, I had a strong resentment because, well, I didn't think I had a strong resentment, but I did, that they neglected me, they abused me, they didn't parent me for years. Right? I held on to that for years, and I brought that with me in my relationships, not only with them, but also with other people. I never looked at it from a point of view of what I was doing to my parents. I wasn't a daughter at all. I never said happy birthday. I never said good morning. I never hugged my parents. I just completely disregarded them as human beings. That's my part. That is extreme selfishness on my part. I have no business doing that, right? What they did is not my business. I focus on my part only. You know, and I'm free of, of, of that anger and that resentment against my parents. I love my parents today. Do we have a great relationship? No. <laughs> That's because there's extreme alcoholism in my side of the family, right? It's, it's really hard to be close to somebody who's actively drinking, right? But I'm always here for them. I love them dearly. Love them dearly. And Alcoholics Anonymous and Step 4 have gotten me there. With that, I'm done. I don't know, Sam, if you have anything. Thank you. Um, I think last thing I, I would like to say, you know, just to um, reiterate, you know, the getting into action um, and how fast this should actually be done. You know, how long should it take to write a fourth step? You know, I, I know uh, in the 
and to wives it talks about you know we recover in in a, in a few weeks right like so the the four steps shouldn't take you know if we're supposed to recover in a few weeks then that that sounds like the four steps shouldn't take that long you know we're right we're not writing a novel of our entire lives uh, and i know for me personally on you know on a friday i was on step 1 and by sunday i was on step 9 so that's how fast we're, we're talking here that I wrote my fourth step over, you know, just a whole, I spent a whole Saturday writing my fourth step. And that, that was, uh, it, it wasn't this crazy biography, autobiography, right. I was, I was fact facing and just like we talked about and finding my part in, in my life, uh, finding out where, find, finding out the man that I had been in the lives of people around me, you know, what's the fact there? What, who, what, what did I look like in other people's lives? Um, but there I will end. And thank you so much for having me. And thank you for everyone who came. And thank you so much, Sandra. That was, that was awesome. Thank you. I pass. Thank you both very much. That was incredible. Um, and to all of our speakers, uh, we're going to take a 10 minute break here. We're going to come back and have Blake do five, six, and seven. Before we go, I think I neglected to say, you know, a ton of work went into this, a ton, all of our speakers, all the staff, Kat and Annie, Annie Brackett and Amber and everybody else. And it's just been such, um, incredible to see this thing happen. And I want to take a minute to thank them before, um, going any further. Um, thank you very much. And let's take 10, uh, come back soon. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna go over, uh, and start talking about steps five, six, and seven. Um, after that, there's going to be some time for questions and answers to the extent there are any. And then we're going to break for lunch and come back uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and I know there are people, I saw people from like UK on here. So I don't know. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> sometime like second tea time. Um, we'll be back. Um, so I'm going to, you know, as people start to come back in, I'm going to toss it over to Blake as he feels when the spirit so moves him to begin. I'm moved. Very deeply moved. I'm, I'm Blake, recovered alcoholic. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, everything's been great so far, and I, uh, I'm really excited about this. We've been looking forward to doing this, and um, yeah, heard some really good stuff. So I'm going to be covering step five and sort of as a uh, little bonus share, we're going to have Kirby dip back in and do step six and seven. So we'll just look at page 59 real quick. Step five, get the formalities out of the way. Step five admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. <clears throat> so, there's a couple things I want to look at here, uh, obviously specific to this workshop. We're talking about sponsoring people and even more tailored to this workshop. We're talking about sponsoring people, you know, now when it's like not a lot of meetings are open, I can't go hang out at the local clubhouse and just wait for new people to pop in necessarily. So, you know, what am I doing at this time to, uh, carry the message in zoom? Like has been, like has been talked about and other platforms. Um, and, you know, specific to this step, how does a this step go, um, on zoom? So there's a couple things that I always like to review with the fifth step starting off. Um, I like to look at what it is and what it isn't. And it's already been mentioned. Sandra said some really, really great stuff. 
big key thing for me is that this is not therapy. I'm not a therapist. I'm not an expert in anything. Um, like I'm thinking literally nothing. I'm an expert in nothing. Um, the only thing that I'm qualified to do is show somebody how to take the steps out of this book. And there are other books that are about the 12 steps and there are other books that contain directions for the 12 steps. And this one where they were first written is the only one I'm qualified to take anybody through. That's it. So I don't even know anything about those other books. So uh, what I like to do is I like to make that clear with guys when I'm going to sit down and do a fifth step with them. I like to discuss, you know, we're, we're not going to go through every single moment of your life. It's not going to be this, you know, huge eight hour thing about like everything that ever happened to you, everybody you've ever hated. Um, I'm, I'm always clear with sponsees when they're writing inventory that, um, you know, the people who, who originated this program, you know, these guys would like walk into Dr. Bob's house and like three hours later leave on step nine, you know, like this is not meant to be this huge protracted experience. Right. So if we look at the book and Chris mentioned this to start us off about the first third of the recovery pages of the book, it's like 53 pages. If you want to go into the forties, like he did, you know, upwards of almost 60 pages, it's all devoted to step one. Right. Meaning this is a big, important deal. That's why, you know, we front loaded the program today with a big, serious, hefty talk about step one. Because if I don't get step one, like step five doesn't matter, right? I, I don't, I don't, there's no reason for me to go into this, uh, to face my fear of doing this, as Sandra talked about, um, to look at my manifestations of self that Sam was talking about that are blocking me from experience that I don't truly believe I need unless I believe I'm the dude in step one. And so, um, what I, what I like to look at is, you know, step 12, super important, whole chapter about it, right? Step one, super important, you know, three times as much is written about that than 12. And then if we look at chapter six, where step five starts, you know, there's like, I think it's like eight of these pages are just about step nine, which leaves like six or seven pages for six other steps. So, you know, seven steps are covered in like 17 pages. And it's not because they're not important. It's because, again, it speaks to how rapidly this process is meant to be done. It's laid out that way quite purposely. Uh, the language that was just touched on in step four, this launching, vigorous action, followed at once, strenuous effort, is very, very, very explicitly worded in a way that leaves no wiggle room for me to be like, oh, I'm pretty sure they wanted me to hang out in step six for three weeks. Like It's just not written that way. Um, so when we get to step five, what we're trying to do is, um, I heard somebody recently put it beautifully, like, you know, we're illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past, what it says. And it's like, I would need no illumination if I weren't on this like dark path, right? If, if things were clear to me, I wouldn't need somebody else to help me illuminate those things. And all I'm trying to do in a fifth step with somebody is to, in their resentment inventory, help them or make sure that they see that their part, their mistakes in column four. That's all I'm going to do with that resentment inventory. Right. Um, for me specifically, I like to listen in their second and third columns, especially for patterns, 
try to see, okay, is this person speaking in a really self-pitying way? Is this person talking like I'm a victim? I, I just, you know, blaming other people for everything, maybe blaming themselves too much. Is there an outsized, you know, self-based fear reaction in all of these descriptions? Is this like fancy thinking or is this like logical thinking? You know, what are the patterns here? And what that's going to do, that's going to help me help this person see their truth in that fourth column. So when I'm doing a resentment inventory with somebody in a fifth step and they're reading off their resentments, I usually let them go for a couple. Cause oftentimes, I don't know if this is just my experience, but oftentimes the big bombshell one is like not in the first couple of resentments. It's usually like you get through like 10 or 15 and then the guy like takes a deep breath and he's like, all right. All right. I never told anybody about this, you know, and then it's, it's like this big dramatic performance thing. Um, and we all do that. We all have that. Cause it's a scary thing. You know, I don't like, I don't wake up one day hung over as hell. Like, uh, man, I can't wait to go mm, confess my shortcomings to another person. I was going to be groovy. So, um, what I like to look for is kind of like a Rosetta stone in the resentment inventory. So it's like, I'm listening. I'm listening very actively. I'm engaging them. I'm not dragging this out. I'm keeping it just as like kind of, uh, clinically worded as the book does, you know, Kirby says it great. You know, I think, what is it like 19 words in that second column, 18 words in that second column, Mr. Brown is attention to my wife, told my wife, my mistress, you know, wants to get my job that I could write 10 pages about this guy who wants to steal my wife and my job and tell my wife that I'm cheating on her. I could write 15 pages on that. This guy writes uh, like two sentences, right? So we're going to keep it short because I'm not, uh, you know, writing a novel about you. All I want to know is what happened, what's the inciting incident, and then let's get to your truth, right? Once we've gotten to your truth, we're moving on to the next resentment. As long as you can see that you had mistakes in the situation, whether you set the ball rolling or whether you've refused to let go of this resentment and it's spiraled into this thing that's caused you to act out in certain ways, judge people, live in fear, whatever. We're moving on to the next one. Now, when I say Rosetta Stone, like what, I, what I'm looking for here is like, there's almost always in a fifth step, there's, there's a, a great uh, experience that you have with someone when you're doing this, when you're both sharing this, this spiritual exchange that happens in a fifth step. That's like, I lock into something and I'm like, okay, this is a, like a crazy, perfect example of how this person made choices based on self that placed in a position to be harmed and stepped on someone's toes. They retaliated and then they got their feelings hurt. Now they have a resentment and they hated this person for 10 years or whatever. And locking into one of those and really syncing up with someone to where they understand something they didn't when they came into the fifth step is like perfect. This is, this is, this is perfection. This is what I'm looking for in a fifth step because usually what happens is any of the ones that are confusing after that, we can go back to that and we can say, okay, remember the thing with your uncle, right? Let's look at this resentment now that you can't get over through that lens. Right. And it almost always just falls into place, you know? So next we look at the fear inventory and it's really straightforward. You know, I'm trying to help this person get to a place where you can see that your fears are a result of living in self-reliance. You know, I'm not going to belabor this any more than it needs to be to, to understand that. Right. The book talks about 
you know, basically I'm living in God Reliance or I'm living in self-reliance. And when I'm living in self-reliance, you know, I'm, I'm either cocky or I'm full of fear. Right. And so I do these things like what's talked about on page 61, you know, this actor in the step three stuff, you know, I'm, I'm living in a way where I'm attempting to control external circumstances to manage my internal discomfort. And what is that? The result of, well, it's usually a result of some kind of fear, right? You know, and why do I have that fear? Well, I'm relying on my finite self to manage my life rather than infinite God. And that's usually what it comes down to, you know, as long as it's the same thing with resentment inventory, as long as I can get there with someone, I think we're golden. We move on to the next fear. Sex harms inventory, similar thing. You know, this is what I'm trying to get with this person is, let's get to your truth on this. How did you behave in this area of your life with other people? Um, I don't need to hear about all the ins and outs and the specifics of your, I'm sure, profoundly interesting adventures in this realm. All I need to know about is how do you see your truth and how you acted with people? And the book does this awesome thing where on page 69, it, it really outlines in one paragraph everything that we need to ask ourselves about this area of our life, you know, it reminds us that, you know, nobody, no human person is the arbiter or, you know, control in control of our, where our sex life should be. Right. Talks about establishing an ideal in the way that's outlined in that middle paragraph, which is basically, am I behaving selfishly or not? You know, all of this, all this fifth step stuff this is all going back to what parts of self are blocking me from the experience that was described as being needed in step two. Right. That's it. It's all we're looking at. So parts of self. So specific to the land of Zoom and social distance and all this stuff, I've had experiences. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna reference Sandra again. Something something that she said was so dank to me, um, and it's like. Basically, the idea, and, and many of us, the speakers here, when we were talking about this idea for this this uh, workshop, you know, it's like, okay, so sponsorship, big book sponsorship in the age of social distance. Okay, what's the difference? You know, because like all of us have just continued to do what we used to do, you know, um, way, 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 way before all this pandemic stuff, um, I was doing really weird out of the ordinary fist steps with people, you know, I'm carrying a message into the Salvation Army and the atmosphere in this shared room is like the waiting area of like a Greyhound station in like downtown Philadelphia or something, you know, it's like, this is not peaceful. We're not lighting candles. We're not hanging out and talking for eight hours. We got half an hour before the meeting starts and I can only meet with you once a week. And we just got to break it up into chunks. Cause it's either that or you wait for six months till you get out of here. And then we do a fifth step. So book talks about launching into action. We're going to launch as we're able, right? Same thing with zoom, you know, um, just like, back then when we had to do what we had to do and break a fist step into chunks, we're going to do the same thing. If we got to do it on zoom, you know, I meet with people who are living in treatment centers or whatever. Um, and we do the same exact thing we do in person, the same stuff that I just outlined, you know, um, I think one of the only differences is that like, you know, when I'm going through, particularly the sex harms and the resentment inventory, I'm writing down a little list. I'm, I'm, listening for those patterns. I'm looking for that Rosetta stone type thing and I'm going, okay, 
So we're taking off a lot of like, you know, self-pity. We're taking off a lot of unrealistic expectations. You know, there's a lot of dishonesty. There's judgmentalness, gossip, whatever it is, you know. Um, we're seeing all these things recurring. And I'm just going to do little check marks next. So I'm going to write a little list. You know, I think literally the only difference of the fifth step now is that like I have to like take a picture of it and text it to them or, or like type it up and send them an email or something. And there's literally no other difference. You know, um, I, uh, I could say that actually, you know, the other difference that I can think of is that I don't have the Greyhound waiting, waiting area, uh, atmosphere in my home. You know, I do a, a fist up here from my, from my office. So, um, the, um, the amount of fist steps that I've been doing has, not slowed down. In fact, I'm sure it's increased in Zoom. Um, I I have done fist steps from uh, a, a guy was waiting to board a plane and he was sitting in the terminal with his masks on and he was uh, you know kind of whisper talking at some stuff. Um, but we did it right. We did it over a Zoom call. I did a fist step. Some guy in uh, Cleveland was like sitting on the floor of his mom's bathroom. Like, okay, cool. This works. Somebody in their car, somebody with roommates walking behind them. Um, if the willingness is there, I am never saying no, I'm showing up and I'm continuing to help somebody with these directions. You know, um, at the end of this process, I'm going to take them to the book again. I'm going to show on page 75, you know, it says that we're going to, we're going to go home. In this case, we're going to stay home. We're going to look at our book. We're going to flip to page 59. We're going to review the first five steps. And, um, you know, I like to really review that with them because there's a lot of times there's like, uh, the interpretation of the review, the first five steps and see, did we live anything out? A lot of times that's kind of taken as like, Oh, well, you know, now's the time when you tell me about making out with your best friend at summer camp or whatever, you know? And to me, I think it's pretty clear that the book is asking me, take a look at the first five steps. Did you leave anything out? Do you really believe that you're physically powerless over alcohol? You can't control it. Do you really believe you don't have the power to prevent yourself from picking up the first drink? Do you really believe that there's some power that can relieve this insanity? Do you understand the decision you made in step three? Do you understand that you're going to go through this process, turn around and give whatever you get from it to somebody else? Do you understand that commitment? Did you leave anything out of four and five? No. Perfect. Let's look at step six. And with that, we will go to Kirby. Thanks guys. Okay. Hey y'all. I'm Kirby again. Nice to see you. Um, I, I love what Blake talked about my, my experience over zoom and pandemic fifth steps has been pretty similar. I either will hear people over zoom or I've done two over the last year where we're like at a park six feet apart where no one else is around, you know, ye- not yelling her fifth step at me. But, but the thing is, is that the instructions remain the same and my actions as a sponsor remain the same. I'm just here to do for this person, what the book is instructing them to do. Um, and, and really, really quick before I talk about what it says on, on page 76 about steps six and seven, I wanted to talk about what Blake was just referencing at the very bottom of 75, going back over this, this hour that I returned to my home that I tell 
you know, I'm telling my sponsee, go, go sit for an hour, go back over the first five proposals, go back through what you've written in your fourth step. Um, but, but I also show them this. I hope that it's, it is definitely backwards. Cause this is where we talk about, uh, we're, we're creating, we're building an arch through which we shall pass to freedom. And it says, Oh, thank you. Uh, we're building an arch through which we shall pass through freedom. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? And someone else was talking about these stones before as well. Um, so is, is my foundation solid? My foundation talks about on page 17, the cement, this common peril, common solution. Am I going to meetings and, and hearing other people? Um, um, am I, where am I at in the steps? Have I skimped on any of that? Are my stones properly in place? My cornerstone being the... Step two, willingness to believe that Sam was talking about. My keystone being this new decision that I'm, that I'm taking this new position in relation to a power greater than myself. Are those properly in place? Are they locked in? Because if not, you know, my archway is going to be real sad. We're filling in the rest of these gaps with the remaining steps. And unless these are all properly in place, it's not going to be a very good archway. So I, I like to show them that as well. And, and, and I'll usually either screen share that or draw on whatever I have whenever we talk about this. Um, but it says on page 76, if we can answer to our satisfaction after this hour that yes, I have done all of these proposals to the best of my ability, two and three are in place, my foundation is solid, then we look at step six. And step six, okay, step six is that we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Uh, it says we've emphasized willingness and being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all things which we have admitted are objectionable? So that's what we did in our fifth step. We found these things that are probably objectionable. Can he now take them all, everyone? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. So it's here that I like to talk with sponsees about this difference between being ready and being willing. Um, so I always use this illustration of, of, uh, uh, being, um, a skydiver, right? I can be up in this plane. I can be all strapped down, ready to go. I've got my whole thing. I've double, triple checked it. I know which cord I'm pulling. I've got all of the equipment. I've got my helmet. I know what I'm doing. I'm ready. But until I'm willing to jump out of the plane, I'm not going to be going skydiving. Right. So, you know, it's asking me in step six, am I ready? And that's a lot of what we did in that hour. Am I ready? Do I have all of my stones in place? Have I done everything up to this point to the best of my ability? And now am I willing? And I feel like at this point, it's a lot more important for us to be ready than it is to be willing. Cause it says right here, you know, there might still be some stuff that I'm clinging to, but I can ask God to help me be willing and continue to go through the rest of this work. Um, and then the very next thing it asks us to do, if I can say, yes, I'm ready. Yes, I'm willing. It tells us exactly what my next thing is to do. When ready, we say something like this. And then this is the step seven prayer. My creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me good and bad. Uh, and I love that it says all of me, good and bad, because there are some things on my, on my fourth steps that I'm like, oh, you know, and, you know, I still kind of like this part about myself. I'm not necessarily a great uh, decider of what's good and bad. I've proven that in my past. 
I probably don't have the best radar of whether something is good or bad. So I give all of that, every part of it, the things that I still like about myself and the things that I really, you know, I've seen in my fourth step, maybe aren't so great. I give all of that away because I'm not really in charge of what's good and bad about myself anymore. Um, so I pray that you should have all of me good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character, which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. We have then completed step seven. That's it. It's this, uh, just like we took this new attitude towards God or towards the, my higher power, um, in step three, I'm now taking this new attitude toward my, my, my um, defects of character, myself, I'm, I'm choosing to do something new with them, which is give them all over to this power that I've, um, this power that I'm starting to become connected with. Uh, and I love, it kind of, it kind of ties back in with what I talked about earlier on pages 44 and 45. The very last part of this prayer says, grant me strength as I go out from here. And, you know, this is, this is what I need if I've decided on, on page 44 and 45 that I have a lack of power. If I've decided I've got a lack of power, if I've looked at my defects of character in my fourth step, discussed them with another person in my fifth step, this is the next part of that. I give these over to something else and I ask for new power to fill those spots. So um, I hope that makes sense. And, and additionally, I just did six and seven this morning with my sponsor over Zoom. And she just did the same exact thing that I'm doing with y'all, which is talking me through these two paragraphs at the page of step, uh, at, on page 76. So, you know, it's the same, same thing, just over telecommunications, if you will. All right. Thanks, y'all. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. So unless, um, Blake, unless you have anything you'd like to add, I think we're going to open up for questions now. I, Kat, this is all you. I'm going to, please. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Um, so yeah, we have a question answer portion. So I do have some questions I could ask, but um, I'll leave it open to the group first. If anybody who's been listening wants to ask uh, anything before I kind of jump in. It's like we got a question from Dave. Oh, perfect. Dave, go ahead. Hey, everybody. Thanks a million. And thanks so much for what you're doing this morning. Um, I have a question. When I'm doing a, a fifth step with a sponsee, my first reaction is to try to call um, God into the room. And I've found that that is helpful sometimes. And sometimes I get resistance from sponsees that aren't spoken, but I just kind of feel it. Do you all do the same thing? When I did my fourth step, the sponsor that I had um, before we got started said, before we get started, let's bring God into the room and ask for his guidance. Is this something that you all do or not? Thanks. Do any of our panelists want to answer, Blake? I was just going to say that like, that's, that's definitely something that I try to do. It depends on the sponsee. Um, I'm a big proponent of sponsoring the person who's in front of me. So if I'm, if I'm working with somebody who is literally like how I was when I started the steps where they're just like, uh, F God, F spirituality, you know, like they're just not interested. Um, I will always 
basically I start with reading some portions from 72 to 75 talks about what we're going to do. Cause that emphasizes the spiritual component in like a practical way of like, here's the action we're going to do today. Here's why we're doing that. We're illuminating these twists of character, all that stuff that's blocking us from the experience we need. Cause that experience is going to be different for everybody. Right. It's going to kind of have the same baseline, but for somebody who's like coming in as like a devoutly religious person, it might, be tented that way as opposed to somebody like me who is like very i was like the antichrist when i came to aa i'm i'm not now but i had an experience all of my own through the actions of the steps that was produced just because somebody gave me just the directions out of the book you know so if if somebody is is um already you know very very into the higher power thing i will absolutely you know, invite God into the room with them and do prayer like that. It kind of just depends on, on the guy, but also simultaneously, just as a quick caveat to that, I never shy away from the spiritual center of the program with someone. It's just that, you know, it's going to be maybe approached slightly differently depending on the sponsee up to a point. Once we're like 10, 11 and 12, it's like, brother, if you're anti-spirituality by now, I don't know what's, I don't know what's going to happen, you know? So anyway, great question, man. Thank you, Blake. Um, um, Christian, you have your hand up. Can I talk even though I haven't spoke yet? Yes. Christian alcoholic. Hey, everything that Blake said, um, plus I'll just add, well, and one little thing. So it says there's three people mentioned in the fifth step might be helpful if all three are in the fucking room uh, or in the zoom. Right. So yes, but also even more important, it might be, for me, this is my experience. Like, um, I think it's almost more important that the sponsor has invited God in before he's gone in or he or she, this person has gone into starting the physical. I've walked into fifth steps without God, not as good. I'm not as effective, you know, um, God needs to be with, I need to be bringing God with me. And if I'm walking into a room, uh, to do a fit step or a zoom, uh, and I don't have that connection, it's probably not going to go super great. So might be a good idea for the, the sponsor a little bit before the fifth step to get connected. And then also a great idea to have all three people mentioned in the fifth step, uh, participating. Thanks. Thank you, Christian. Um, all right, I'll pass it over to Spencer. Do you have a question? Yeah. Hey everybody. Spencer alcoholic, um, new Orleans, Louisiana. What is the question I had is it's hard when going into the sex conduct, um, saying, Hey, this is not like a, a body count. This is a relationship test. Like we're putting each relationship to the test. It says in the book and I'll, what's your, what's the panel's experience with before explaining that part of the inventory, like, Hey, this is how it needs to be done rather than getting so caught up in the word sex in this part of the inventory. And I, I've had a hard time in the past. Like I'll get through a resentment inventory. I'll get through a fear inventory and we'll be on the sex conduct and they'll be like, well, you know, Susie Haymaker and ninth grade, you know, I didn't call her back and it, it becomes a body count. And so explaining that to somebody going into a fourth step, what is y'all experience? What is y'all's experience with getting them to do it as outlined in the book? Any panelists want to respond? Kirby. That's a, that's a really good question. And I feel like it gets, I, the, the, the sex inventory gets so, well, people, people get like, they, they shrivel up when they hear it mentioned. Um, cause it, it sounds, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like I'm just going to be sitting here listening to someone 
list me off like Billy and Jamie. Like, no, that's um, so whenever I'm explaining the sex inventory to somebody, I go to pages uh, like the bottom of 68 through 70. Um, and if I'm going through these pages and just like reading through them, um, I, I try to let them know that like, this is not about my, you know, one-on-one -on -one time with another person. This is about my, my motives behind my romantic relationship motives and who, who they've harmed. Um, this is about trying to shape a sane and sound ideal with my higher power. Um, so I, I always suggest before they sit down to make this a, a prayerful exercise, to make this something that's, um, you know, asking God to help me see where I have wronged others in this department. Um, yeah, it could, because really I, I feel like it all, it's all about shaping this ideal. So I'm not necessarily needing to look at you know, like the one night stand that I had with some rando 10 years ago. Um, I I'm looking at the instances in my life where my conduct, my motives, my actions, uh, my words around relationships have harmed somebody else. Um, and, 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 and uh, the middle, let's see the middle of page 69 it gives us like these exact questions that we can hold every single relationship that we've ever been in up to. Uh, we reviewed our own conduct. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Who had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, bitterness? Where were we at fault? What should we have done and said? We got it on paper and looked at it. So I feel like if you're bringing their attention to those specific questions, there's a lot less like wiggle room for them to be like, this is about sex. Like, you know, it, it makes it's yeah. And that's, that's my experience with it. And it, it is still, you know, uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about, especially their first time through, but yeah, that, that's all I got. Thank you, Kirby. Sam, do you have anything to say to that point? Just real quick. Um, yeah, exactly what Kirby was saying. You know, th this isn't a moral uh, or like what I think is like a moral opinion of something like I, it, it, this isn't looking at like, oh, well, I did, I had sex in this manner. And I look at that as something that, um, you know, that I grew up learning that that's immoral or sinful or something like that. We're, we're not getting into like the, cause we can really easily get into like therapy type stuff, which we're not looking at, you know, it says, where did we cause jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? So if you didn't cause jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness, then that person doesn't need to be on this inventory. Cause like Blake had mentioned at one point, you know, I don't need to hear about you, you know, making out with your friend at summer camp, you know, if you didn't cause jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness, then it doesn't need to be on this inventory. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. Any of our panelists want to respond to that or I'll move on to um, Luke Colorado. Hi guys. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic from Colorado. But yeah, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out how to word this question. Um, oftentimes when I'm working with new guys, um, you know, or even people that have been in the program or the fellowship for a little bit, it seems to me like there's this misconception that the fourth step, as has been said, is a, uh, a confession or a, um, 
sort of like, you know, you got to go into every sort of detail of your life. And, you know, that, that line in the book is just taken way out of context. Um, but what I have found for myself personally, when working with newcomers, oftentimes I get to a position um, where we do the eighth step and after the eighth step before launching into the ninth step, there's this almost mini fifth step that we have to do again, because, you know, if you're working out of the big book and you're doing the three inventories, the sex, the fear, and the resentment inventory, you know, that's not really talking about harms done to others. There's a little bit of that in the sex inventory. Um, some of that might come out in the fear inventory around like, Oh, I'm afraid of going to jail for X, Y, Z. Um, but I find myself sometimes almost wanting to do my fifth step with people after doing an eighth step with them. Um, because it's like, you know, we get through the fourth step. They tell me about who they're pissed at you know, uh, people, institutions, principles. And yeah, they, I encourage them to include themselves in that. Um, but you know, then we get to an eight step and it's like, Oh geez, I didn't tell you about all this harm and wreckage that I caused in others lives because if you're working out of the book, it doesn't tell you to do that in the fourth step. So my question, I suppose is kind of how do you guys, find that balance you know the big book does talk about illuminating every twist of character every nook and cranny so to speak um but yeah it almost seems to me like the eighth step is kind of out of place there and what's your guys's experience with making sure that that stuff isn't missed um before you launch into the ninth step thank you for the question luke um who would like to respond sam I know it just went, but man, that was a really good question. And I know I've had uh, conversations about this with other people on this panel um, specifically. You know, I, I'll say, because it's one part of the book that isn't necessarily very clear. And I think a lot of us will admit that they're not, that, that seems to be a question of like, well, wait a minute, because we all know it's supposed to be there because it's implied many times. Um, so I know that uh, what I do with my guys um, you know, in the eighth step, it says we have a list of people we had harmed. We, we made it when we took inventory, right? So implied that it was done in the inventory. And I also look at page 70. Uh, it says at the bottom of 70, we have listed the people we've hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. Um, again, I take that as another implication that I have listed the people that I've hurt by my conduct. Um, Yes, it's not exactly very clear. I'm sure other people could um, make a different argument, but that's the one I go with. I think it, it doesn't really, you know, it's not super important at the end of the day, so long as we do have a list of the people that we hurt by our conduct, because we will need to make amends to them. So whether it comes at step eight or whether it comes at step four, I think maybe it might boil down to personal preference, but those are kind of the reasons in the book that I refer to of why we're going to list them out in four so that when we get to eight, boom, we have the list and we can get right into nine. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. And Dawn, would you like to go respond? 
Yes, I would love to. Thank you so much, Kat. What's up, you guys? My name is Dawn, and I am a recovered alcoholic um, as a result of working the steps, as it says in the book. And what it was explained to me when I did the sex inventory is it's not about sex. It's about my conduct. It's about my conduct in all my relationships. So if I take the fact that I haven't had sexual intercourse out of the, you know, if I take that out of the equation and just look how I have caused harms to other people, then in that sex inventory, I have a list of the people that I have harmed. So, um, I harm people in all sorts of ways. And um, this is really more about my relationships with people than it is about sex. And so um, that's the way it was taught to me. That's the way I did my sex inventory. And that's the way I do my inventory with my girls. And so in that, uh, uh, in the instructions for the sex inventory, um, let's see, it tells us, let's see. We reviewed our conduct over the years past. Doesn't say who did I have sex with, right? Um, it says, where have we been selfish, dishonest, and considerate? Whom had we hurt? Who did I hurt? Right there, if I stop and I answer that question, who have I hurt? Then I have my list right there. Um, and then it's already there for me to discuss with my sponsor in my fifth step. Um, and then I already have that ready for my list in step eight. Um, and then obviously I continue on answering all the rest of the questions, um, but that's specifically where the instructions in the fourth step tell me to write every person that I have hurt, uh, regardless of whether I had sex with them or not. So thank you guys. Thank you so much, Dawn. Um, I'll leave it. We still have a few more minutes. If uh, anybody else has had a question, uh, just raise your hand using the feature or just jump on in if you'd like. If not, um, I have some good ones here. Um, is there anything we should not do on a fifth step? And, and, alter, and also how to avoid making a fifth step uh, therapy session if it kind of gets there. Does anybody like to respond? Kirby? So um, I, I've had that problem before. And um, it was just one of those things where her list was real short and bulleted, like, like, um, like the example in the book, you know, that's how her list was. But then with every single person, she started to explain the whole backstory and it just turned into this big, long drawn out ordeal. And, and I asked my sponsor afterwards, I was like, man, that was, I'm not sure if that was effective. I'm not sure if, if what needed to be seen was seen and I, I, I don't know what to do. And, and my sponsor, um, gave me the advice of telling sponsees before we get going, just read what you wrote, read what you wrote down. Um, it's not, I don't need to understand the ins and outs and ups and downs of everything that's ever happened and why you're upset. This is for you to look at. If you can read what you wrote and know what you're talking about and understand what's going on, that's, a-okay. I'm interested in your fourth column and, and in what you see in your behavior uh, and in your third column too, you know, <clears throat> the patterns of how you're affected. Um, and I feel like the thing that I've begun doing, if it begins to turn into um, story time, I don't know if y'all have ever seen like those YouTubers where it's like story time. I met a ghost and then it's like a 30 minute story and they like maybe meet a ghost at the end and it's like, did they or not? We don't know. Anyways, that's what it'll sometimes turn into. And if I can hear that happening, I will very gently interrupt and say, I'm going to go ahead and give you 
two minutes to continue the story, but at two minutes, let's move on to the next column on this person. And, you know, that way they feel like they're being heard because that's my job in a fifth step is to listen. But at the same time, we're still staying focused on what it is they're trying to achieve here with the fifth step. So that's all I got. Thank you, Kirby. <laughs> Christian. Thanks, Christian Alcoholic. Um, yeah, everything Kirby just said, uh, that was exactly what I was going to say. And then um, here's, a, I think a lot of times when a uh, when I was new, I was very concerned about being effective as a sponsor, especially around a fifth step, right? There's a lot of pressure to be good at this, you know? So I'm going to give you a clue. Uh, if you're new and you're not sponsoring a ton of people yet, how you get really good at fifth step. Okay. And the, it's a really easy thing. You just do a lot of fucking fifth steps. Okay. Do a lot of fifth steps. And cause what did Kirby just say? Kirby just said through my experience, right? She had to, I had to screw this up. Like I had to be shitty at this before I got good at it. Like you think the first time you sit down to a fifth step, you're just like fucking nailed it. No, you're going to feel like you maybe did something wrong. Like that's okay. This is about growing and understanding and effectiveness. You want to get better at fist steps, do more fist steps, you know, get more sponsees, get more people through the work quickly and to the fist step and you'll hear more and then you'll get better at it and you'll learn how to get people and you'll learn how to not be scared to say to somebody, okay, that pad of paper you got on your lap there, just read it. If I have a question about Suzanne, I'll ask you, but if not, just keep reading. And if I'm going to be jotting some notes, it's all good. You just keep reading. When I need something from you, I'll tell you. Other than that, just read me what you wrote down. It's as simple as that. And when you get really good at it, all of a sudden, boom, you're like 90 minutes in, we're out. Let's go. Let's get on with our life here, you know? So anyway, that's all I got. Thanks. Thank you, Christian. And I just want to be conscious of time. So Aiden's sound is working. So I'm going to uh, call on him next, which is great. <laughs> I know Sandra wants to speak to this question. I do want to hear Joe's question as well. So uh, we have a 15 minute lunch break. If we bleed into that a little bit, can I get a thumbs up? All right. I got a thumbs up from Christian Joe. Cool. <laughs> so let's hear from Aiden. Thank you, Aiden. You can hear me now. Good. Yeah, so I, I think Kirby probably just said it, but I, what I do is I limit them in the second column. If I don't want it to turn into a therapy session, it always inevitably will turn into somebody reading what they wrote and then expounding upon it to make sure that, and then they get stuck in the second column. And even as we try to move through those inventories, we try to move into the third column, they're always coming back to the second column and go, oh, wait, 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 let me tell you about this section. Oh my God, you won't believe this. And then they want to go deeper and deeper and deeper and justify the resentment. So sometimes what that takes for me is for me to pause, just read what you wrote, just read what you wrote. And it happens frequently. So I always try to make sure that I'm, cataloging, you're at the second column. Okay, we're going to look at it from an entirely new angle, as it says in the fourth step. And that's the angle of what has affected me and what are the harms that I've done. So I always try to make sure that I'm pointing that out as we're going through. That's all I got. Sandra, you're up. Hi, everyone. Um, I just want to quickly add, um, my sponsor taught me to ask someone. So um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I feel like when people are writing a fourth, they kind of cluster people, right? So it'll be family and then it'll be um, coworkers, um, ex-boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever. Right? They're little clusters, right? Um, and I was taught to ask, you know, like when they're rambling on, how is this one any different than the last I don't want to hear about the third ex-husband or whatever. How is this ex, any, you know, or your part, how, how is this any different than the, than the last? And usually it's, it's not. 
<laughs> and there's your answer, right? I can move on, right? I was self-centered. I was blah, blah, blah. Move on to the next one, right? How's that any different? Um, so hope that helps. Yes, that's rad. Thank you. Um, Joseph, Joey, Joe. All right, Joey, alcoholic. Um, this has been great. Thank you guys for putting this on. Uh, I really liked, uh, Kirby, your analogy about the ghost story. It reminds me of like, um, you know, when you go to a food blog website, they do the whole fucking story about how they got to make uh, chocolate cupcakes or whatever. It's ridiculous. So, um, yeah. So my question is, um, so I'm pretty new to sponsorship, um, trying to sponsor uh, more people and, um, I'm losing people at a fourth step. And, um, I just want to know how active you are in the instructions of the fourth step, how often you're checking in with them on a fourth step. Um, do you work with them on the fourth step? Uh, and in the fifth step, like how does that affect them seeing their fourth column that you've worked with them prior to the fifth, if that makes sense. That's sort of where I'm at right now, or I'm kind of like, you know, I haven't sponsored that many people, but I've lost like 90% of them at the fourth step. So, um, yeah, I just want to be active and, and, uh, make sure that I'm, but also not like influencing them, you know, letting them, letting them write, write their shit down. So that's all. Thank you for the question. I can, I can really relate to that. Um, I do want to clarify, um, are you losing them while working on the fourth step, like as they're writing it or after step three? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's while they're writing it or while they tell me they're writing it, you know? Um, and I do set, I do set, uh, dates and times because, you know, I got three kids and I work a crazy job. So I need like, I've got an hour a week with you. I've got whatever I set a time like, okay, next week we're going to, you know, we're going to pick up here. And, um, and I just kind of want to get some feedback on how involved you guys are with keeping up with their progress, the fourth step, how involved you are with maybe sitting down with them and taking a look at their columns, what they're writing. Um, because I feel in, in the times, the few times that I've gotten into a fifth step, I don't know if they were quite, I don't think I was very clear on the directions, but you know, like, like Christian, uh, kind of like, I kind of wish I wouldn't have raised my hand before Christian shared. Cause he was just like, just do fucking more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just do more. And, uh, also I find that when I get really granular with the instructions, like line by line, um, I answer my own questions a lot of the time, but, um, but yeah, I just kind of want to hear some experience with, um, with how involved with your fourth step and how, how much you're contacting them and being like, Hey, are you, uh, you know, second column, like how, where you at, you know? Thank you for clarifying. Um, there are three people who want to respond, Aiden, Sandra, and Christian. So we'll go in that order and then we'll go for lunch. So Aiden, would you like to go ahead? Uh, Aiden alcoholic. Yeah, that's a great question. And I still, I still lose guys all the time on four steps. Um, I've noticed that the speed in which I work uh, guys through one, two, and three and get them on four uh, has been helpful to me. So if I meet a guy in the first session that I have with him, I try to get him through three. So that yeah, on the too. first, at the end of the four, uh, first session, he's starting on four and we, and then you had mentioned yeah. that you set the date for, for what we're going to do with five. What I noticed is when that, that's not broken up and not losing steam and they're, they're not losing desperation. Cause I think that what's carrying somebody through the inventory process and really through 
the first nine steps is the sheer desperation that they yeah. don't want to go back to the place that they were when they came here. Right. So the, the, I try to take advantage and much like what we're doing with this whole workshop is really rapid step work to get them to a place of a spiritual experience before self returns. And I notice yeah. that self returns extremely quickly for a lot of guys, you know, and, and, uh, so, and you'd mentioned that you do that. So, and then the other thing is I don't chase them, you know, I'll text, I'll mm-hmm. say what's going on, how you doing? And then I leave it at that because I don't want to um, somehow arrange and manufacture this guy's spiritual experience because it's completely depending on his willingness. And if he can't reach out, say, I'm here, I'm stuck, I have a question, you know, I'm feeling a little whatever, I'll have like one or two conversations with him and say, hey, yeah, we had set that date. What's going on with that? Oh, well, you know, I don't know. I just, yeah. Are you having any issues or are there any questions? If he said, I don't know, I'm all right. I let it be and let him go on his way. If he has vested interest and says, you know, I'm really, honestly, I'm just, it's difficult. I don't understand what I'm doing. I'll, then I can go back in and start with the, the, the questions out of the book and the directions again. Um, but beyond that, I just try not to um, play too much of a factor and role. I try to make it as easy as possible, but I don't try to chase him. So that's just my experience. Awesome. Thanks. Sandra. Hi, everyone. Um, it's a great, great question. Um, I felt the exact same way you did when I first started sponsoring. I thought, man, you know, like, why am I losing all these people? <laughs> and um, somebody told me years ago that if somebody is um, stuck on that particular step, they're actually stuck, stuck on the step before that. So if you're losing them at four, you're probably lost them at three. But they haven't really grasped the reef um, all the way yet, right? Um, and so I got sober in Cleveland. Um, their mentality there is different than I live in Columbus now. And um, they have a thing called back to basics. And I'm sure some of the places you guys live, it, they have that as well. And one of the things that they mentioned in back to basics is that back in the day in the Cleveland Akron area, there were people there who couldn't read and write. So sponsors would actually write out <laughs> a sponsee's fourth step. So some of you that might be thinking, hell no, I am not doing that. And that's fine, right? Um, I'm not that kind of individual either, although I've had had um, a sponsee who she didn't know um, how to write. So I, I did help her, obviously. Um, but that is an option. You, you could do that, right? I give my sponsees a week to to do a fourth step. And I think that's a few days too many. Um, but I understand that people work. I understand people have kids, you know, they have, they have obligations, but I think a week is more than enough time. And, um, you know, some people aren't as disciplined, right? So if that means they have to come to my house for a week and sit at my kitchen table and write, then so be it. I really don't care. I'm going to continue my life, <laughs> whether you're there or not. Right. Um, and they can ask questions if they want. Right. I do ask them to stay in touch with me throughout that week um so that you know um we make sure that we're getting the bullet points right I, I found that people get bogged down with four when they're going to meetings and they're hearing stuff like my fourth was really really long you know um i don't want to write a novel either um and i think just keeping you know just telling them that you know stick, stick to the facts again it's a fact-finding mission this is not going into a novel. I'm not asking you to try a thesis here. Stick to the bullet points, right? And perhaps not ready. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, if they want to hold on to those resentments, hold on to them. They're yours to keep. They're your resentment. Eventually, you might get the courage to, to go ahead and write that out. Thank you so much. And then finally, go ahead, Christian. Christian Algolic. So, uh, man, 
I knew the Q and a was going to be dope is so good. And, um, so, because those are exactly the same questions that everybody's asking themselves, you know what I mean? And, um, I think as, as a sponsor, especially as, as a newer, um, sponsor, you know, it's always this thing of like, um, success where I'm measuring success in how many and also how far, right. As opposed to what the book says, which is helping others is the foundation stone of my recovery. It doesn't say getting them across the 12th step, you know, getting great grand sponsees. I don't read that anywhere in the book. You know, um, what it does talk about is it talks about how, if a person is not willing to do the work, then go find somebody who is, your yeah. job is to just keep presenting this work to people. Yeah. It is not about getting them to a certain place. Um, a sponsor, the person in front of you. If the person needs a lot of direction, you need to give them a lot of direction. That's what, that's your, your job is to figure out how to be the most effective in front of each person. So yeah, there is no blanket statement. Sometimes I sit with them and write with, I don't write for them, but I'm there and I'm helping and I'm there. Maybe they're just not picking up the concepts, but they're willing. And so I'm going to do it. And other times I give them very clear instruction, send them off, say, call me on this day. Let me know how you're doing. Boom. They're calling. I don't need to help that guy. He's doing the work. So sponsor the person in front of you. And, um, you know, we all get so caught up in time today, right? It's like, Oh, I have X amount of days. I have this amount of time, right? It's like, um, time is not a tool. Okay. Let's just keep moving them through the work, getting them further into the work. And you know, it's a scary thing to think of somebody relapsing. Okay. But they're not, they're going, my spot, like they're going back to sponsor school that when they drink again, they become more effective when they get sober. Cause they get to say to somebody, yeah, I tried that too. Didn't work for me. You know, I tried skipping the fourth step didn't work. You, they might have to do that. This is not our decision. You know, um, we're not always the main character in the novel. Sometimes we're just an asshole on page 70 there to push the story forward. So that's it. Thank you guys. Thank you all so much to our panelists and to those who are asking the questions. This is yeah, awesome Q and a, um, we are going to break for lunch. I believe yeah, we're going to break for lunch. We're going to start back up at 1 PM EST, which is in 37 minutes for, cause I don't know where everybody is. <laughs> all right. Well, we hope you enjoyed part one of the modem to modem sponsorship workshop. Yeah. And I, I think if, if anything came up, uh, you know, please feel free to reach out. We should probably give our contact information because um, we can get any of those people that you heard talking are available to sponsor. So if you want to get hooked up with any of them, we have their contact info. And uh, all you'd have to do is send us an email at podcastgreaterthanyourself at gmail.com or go to our Instagram, which is podcastgreaterthanyourself or at dr underscore silkworth. That's it. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. This has been a podcast greater than yourself. A podcast greater than yourself was created by recovered alcoholics. All involved in the creation of this podcast are active members of Alcoholics Anonymous who wish to carry the message of our own recovery to those who still suffer. We do not claim to represent Alcoholics Anonymous. All comments are from our own experiences as alcoholics who have recovered by following the directions for the 12 steps found in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening.